it. It's like, oh. <laughs> Don't you forget about me. Dun, 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 you. Hey, Dad. If you're lost and you look, then you will find me. Time <laughs> after time. If you fall, I will catch you. I will always be waiting. Time after time. If you're lost and you look, then you will find me. Time after time. You fall, I will catch you, and I will be waiting. Time after time. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. Digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude. We can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. That's just you. You're everybody now, are you? Yeah. It was almost, come on, everybody. What, 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 what's it's an old rock and roll song, and I've completely blanked on what it is. It's probably called, come on, everybody. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Let's just check that out, should I? Eddie Cochran! Gosh, my ability to type words into Google. And it to come back with something is, is astonishing. Anyway, after that, I've diverted before we even start. It's a good start. Welcome to our part two of our coverage of Grounded. And final. Woo! Yeah, we're doing Woo. this in, in two, yeah. two episodes because Michael really couldn't be bothered stretching this out for another one, could you? It only needs two. Um, you're listening to Hey Kids Comics. The greatest is- podcast on earth. That's Michael's opinion. Just not Mars. <laughs> There's a better podcast on Mars. Oh, yeah. There? All right, fair enough. Martian Weekly. Uh, I'm Andrew Leyland. And I'm Michael Leyland. Yes. We don't have a pithy line to go with that this week, do we? No. No. Michael Leyland, podcast extraordinaire. You could be made of might. <laughs> <laughs> not might of made. No, no, I don't. I don't oh, think made so. of might. Uh, oh, a couple of bits of business before we, we start up. Michael was a podcast whore this week. I was not a whore. It was podcast merely... Podcast whore. One. 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 One-off. That may be carrying on everyone's So it's part. not a one-off, it is it? it? It was merely a bit on the side. Michael did an episode of Two True Freaks with Scotty Gardner. Yep. Scott Gardner's son. <laughs> and, um... Scotty Gardner of the Gardner clan. Of the Gardner clan. Yes. And, um... Did you have some name? Were you the Teen Brigade or the Teen Titans or Two True Freaks, the next we generation? Or... Two True Freaks, the next generation. Right, not Two True Freaks, no. Son of the Freaks or something. Teen Revenge Titans. of the Freaks. Revenge of the Sons of the Freaks. <laughs> anyway, Michael did that with Scotty last week, I think, as we week record before, this. Something yeah, like that. it was last week. Um, I don't know when it's going up, but we'll point you towards it 
when it does. So if you want to hear Michael unfettered <laughs> by his father, because I I, didn't, I don't there's, know what he, there's not much I don't know what he talked about because I I wasn't even in the room. You it, sounded quite excited. Well, it was an hour of Arkham City, and then the last hour. I can't remember what the last hour was. Oh, well, leave it there. Tease. Tease it. The last hour was so fantastic. <laughs> I teasing myself. It was I such a remember. fantastic conversation that you just need to listen to it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so so that'll be coming up soon. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to hearing it. Oh, yeah. Because I've not heard See, it. See, I'm all getting obviously. embarrassed now, so the part of me like, doesn't want you to listen to it. <laughs> I don't think you should. You um, may listen to it and go, oh, my I am God. shocked. Shocked. How could you do, uh, say that about the French? <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that's what the second uh, part was about. <laughs> we were seeing how we could lose our uh, listeners. Oh, dear God. Um, but for our show, moving <laughs> swiftly better. on. Well, not better. The one where I'm kept in order. Apart yeah. from when you say nasty things about Jack Kirby. <laughs> it's not nasty, I just don't like him. It's not about Jack Kirby, it's just you're not a fan of the artwork. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's not a personal thing. So it's take your hate mail thing. back, people. Nobody's hate mailed you. Really? No, no, everyone's just gone and he's talking out his ass again. Do we not have any feedback at all? No, none this week. Oh. I mean, we've got a couple of emails over the past couple of weeks that we will do when we do another feedback oh, show. Oh, right. But months down the line. Months down the line, yeah. When we've, we've got to a week where we can't be bothered doing any work. <laughs> That's the peak behind the curtain. Email episodes happen when we're lazy. Is that every week? Basically. No, we're putting <laughs> a lot of prep into this and what we're doing next. Oh, yeah. Awful lot of prep. I'm doing a lot more. Speaking of which... Before we get to next, we need to cover this. This week, we will be looking at the final six issues of the Grounded story arc, in which we notice that initiator and prime mover of the storyline, one Joe Michael Straczynski, Straczynski. has gone. He's gone. He's left. He is no longer a part of this storyline. He has joined the Choir Invisible. He has shuffled off this comic book coil. He's bleeding snuffed it. Actually, he's not. He's just, he's just not oh, writing right. the story. Any the story goes, the editor-in-chief of DC Comics, Mr. Dan Dio. Yeah. Mike Bailey does a much better impression of Dan Dio than I do. He I does do. a really good impersonation of Dan Dio. Like. I don't know, but it's a good impersonation anyway. It could be completely inaccurate, but yeah, I yeah. think it sounds good. Have you so. ever heard Dan Dio? No, but I've heard Mike Bailey do a Dan Dio impression, and I like it so much that in my head, that is that's Dan. what Dan Dio sounds like. Actually, I've heard Dan Dio on the Green Lantern Special Edition features on the Blu-ray. Yeah. And he was on that DC documentary. Yeah, so I have heard him. I prefer Michael Bailey's when he's talking about that. Um, so the story goes, as I was saying, that Dan Dio called up Straczynski and told him that the upcoming line-wide reboot, which mm-hmm. the new DC-52, would effectively render this story null and void, and having just gone down this route with Spider-Man, Straczynski decided to jump ship instead of finishing his storyline. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were given the chance to write Superman and was then told that this essentially would be the capper to the old Superman before an all-new one was it w- taking it place... It wouldn't matter. I'd have jumped at the chance to end this era properly. Yeah. Give it a proper send-off, similar to whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow back in before the crisis, yeah. after the crisis, but you know what I mean, before so John Byrne took over. let's go out in a bit of a fizz. Yeah, at the end of the Bronze Age. But Straczynski didn't see it that way. And uh, the reins of the storyline... too good for his own good. He's too good for his own good. Yeah. But eloquently put. <laughs> he um, thinks he's so good when he's not. So the reins of this storyline were handed to Chris Roberson with a very brief overview of what Straczynski was going to do and told to complete the storyline. Again, 
it's easy with the benefit of hindsight to say what I would have done but I'm going to anyway because it's my show (laughs) I would have wrapped this whole mess up in one double sized issue and then got Roger Stern yes Something would have exploded. And got Roger Stern, Dan Jurgens, Jerry Ordway, Tom Grummet, Doug Hazelwood, Kerry Gamble and Carl Kessel back and done a six-issue miniseries called Whatever Happened to the Man of Steel. Okay. But that's just me. I understand why they couldn't do that. Because issues had already been solicited, hadn't yeah. they? Saying that Wonder Woman's going to be in this issue and this issue's going to take place in Portland, Oregon. And so Chris Roberson has basically said that he was given a brief outline of what Straczynski was going to do and some of it did amount to this issue takes place in Portland and he meets the Flash and that's it fair enough that's all he had to do so that's what I would have done so I I understand why they wouldn't so carrying on Superman 707 was released on January the 12th 2011 with a cover by John Cassidy of Superman flying with a plain white background and the Superman shield just kind of like sprouting out of the well, back of his neck. Do you know what those covers were about? What? Because every, well, pretty much every cover had one of them and it was what going on that month. But, oh, it was a uniform cover thing? Yeah, yeah. Because they did it with um, Brightest Day and Green Lantern and Satana and Legion Lost. And right. Okay, so everything. this was um, like when yeah, they did yeah. all those covers that were just close-ups of people's faces Yeah. in the back in the 90s. Right, okay. Um, even with that, it's a bit meh. I like I like the white background. I quite like that. That's quite good. Um, but the variant was by Joe Chen, and again is of Superman flying, but it's painted and looks lovely. Superman looks a lot like Brandon Ralph, and the background is lush, and the brush strokes are really nice. It was used on the cover of the second hardcover, um, and it's really good. Called Grounded Part Five. It was plotted by Straczynski, written by Chris Roberson. Alan Goldman was the penciler. Eva Ferreira, or Ferreira was the inker. Ferreira Rocha. Uh, the rest of the creative team, because this is a modern comic, there's lots of people credited. Marcelo Maiolo is the colorist. John J. Hill is the letterer. John Cassidy and David Barron did the cover. Joe Chen, the variant, as we mentioned. Will Moss and Matt Idelson were the associate editor and editor. And Superman is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. In Des Moines, Iowa, where Captain Kirk was, or will be born, Superman is stopping stuff from happening, like bank robbery, <laughs> kids getting squished by trains and helicopters crashing, but he's still all angst. Chatting to Lois on the phone isn't helping either, especially when a Kansas power plant goes kaboom on the other end of the line. Superman heads out, though, and gets the workers to safety, and then he does some really cool super feats to bring the blaze to a halt. Superman finishes what he's doing and lands. Lois is there with a gentleman named Manuel, and they are arguing that the pla- with, with the plant supervisor. Manuel says that this plant has been operating since the 50s, and is still operating under the same safety standards from then. Pollutants and toxic waste are contaminating the area. Superman examines the area and sees there is elevated levels of chloride in the water, but the plant supervisor and the local townspeople tell Superman that the plant is the last best hope for employment in the area. They feel bad for the fishes, but if this plant closed, the townsfolk will suffer. Superman says that whilst the levels are a little high, there is only minor damage to human life and tells the plant supervisor that if he cleans up his act, then there won't be any trouble. Lois is aghast, especially when Superman tells her she can't run the story. No, Lois, you can't run the story. He's he's actually very forceful Mm. in that scene. Lois and Manuel take off 
fuming, and Superman tries to call Lois to talk. She doesn't answer, but the Superman squad arrive instead to tell Superman they are here to help. Um, what did you think of this one, Michael? Well, <coughs> I actually thought it was quite interesting. Did you? Did you well, like this? More one? on that later, other than us. Okay. Uh, there's more action in the first six pages of this comic than there has been in the last six issues. There's no three-headed monster. There's no three-headed monster. No. It's very reminiscent of Superman three. Yeah, you know, I know that. The power plant. Yeah. yeah. He stops the power plant from going into meltdown, and then he flies over to the lake, freezes it with his super breath, and picks it up, and then sprays and it. Carries it over. Yes. Yeah. So I thought I got a Superman three vibe from this. Yeah. Um, Lisa Jennings is still stalking Superman. Yeah, well, it may be reminiscent of Superman 3, but when he uh, goes to all the girders, is, is Superman stealing now? No, because he actually says he'll make sure the factory's insurance covers the cost of the steel bars. Yeah. So he's he's, he's <laughs> thought about it. I don't know how he's going to know. He's just paying for it later. Yeah, I don't know how he's going to make sure that the insurance will cover that, but, you know, whatever. Um, the moral dilemma at the centre of this story, because I don't have much, much notes in the way of individual parts of this... Um, the moral dilemma at the centre of it is quite an intriguing one, and Roberson does a good job of offering up both sides of the argument. Superman is all for the environment, but he knows the effects of these people's lives would be catastrophic if the plant were to close. Um, I like this. It's a really good moral conundrum for Superman to tackle, and putting Lois on the opposite side of the argument puts Superman in a very difficult position. As Lois feels that the story of the pollutants should be told and let the chips fall where they may. I like this kind of environmental story. Yeah. I've talked before uh, that I hate it when a writer gets on a soapbox with a political or social agenda and then only offers up one side of the argument, similar to what Straczynski did last issue with the, the bloke who was beating his wife and child. Whereas here, both sides of the argument are put forth, there's no answers provided. We as readers, we have, we as readers are asked, what would we do? Would we agree with Superman with Lois? Um, it's a well-constructed issue with a good central conceit. I still can't help feeling Superman could have actually helped them yeah. clean up a bit, though, to be honest with you. Well, I, I really dislike how, how Lois is written in this issue. It, Why? I mean, well, it's easy to want to close the plant when you don't work there. Hmm. But all I got from this issue is that Lois was acting selfishly and is the complete opposite of Superman by wanting to run her story and have the plant closed. <coughs> Even though, if she did that, it would mean lots of people and our generations would lose their jobs. See, because isn't that Superman's argument yeah. in this? That what it's polluting isn't harming human life. And with a bit of work, they can reduce It'd that pollution. Fun, yeah. So to actually report the story... Would, would, be call, would be catastrophic to that doing town. Doing more harm than what would have been done. Yes, it? it's a nice... I liked it. I liked it. It was a very good moral conundrum. And what, I quite liked it. What, what annoyed me even more was how Lois just throws a big girly strop at Superman for just standing up for what I think was the right thing to do. Okay. Well, yeah. All right, well, that's your opinion on that. Um, I liked both sides of the argument. I can understand why Lois, as the reporter would want to report the story. I don't think it's selfish to report that. Well, no, but... But at the same time, she isn't looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, that's why I thought... Okay, fair Barack Obama's on the last page. It does... The, the guy who shows up with the Superman squad does look a bit like Barack Obama. Yeah, and he turns into Will Smith in the next issue. Does he? <laughs> well, it's a different artist the next issue, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So we didn't really have a lot to say about that one, did we? No. No. It was, it was a better issue... 
than they have been previously. Yes, um, again, another good advert for Superman Converse on the back. Uh, Superman 708 came out on the 9th of February 2011, as books covered by John Cassidy of Superman Walking and Looking Sulky, whilst a floaty head of Wonder Woman floats above him. There are silhouettes of people with placards looking angry. The variant cover by Trevor Hurstein shows Superman the Superman Squad flying over Earth. Uh, there's a very Adam Hughes vibe to Wonder Woman's face, though. Mm, I really like this cover. Do you? Yeah. Well, even though Superman's got his head down and looks a bit sulky. I can all that. I concentrate on Wonder Woman. But yeah, Wonder Woman's face is nice. Yeah, I quite like that. Uh, Grounded Part 6 sees the return of Eddie Barrows to the art, but the rest of the credits seem to remain the same as last time. Oh, J.P. Mayer with Julio. Julio Ferreira. Julio. Rod Rice is the colourist. Uh, the Superman squad from the future say they know why Superman is feeling full of malaise recently, and they take him to the Fortress of Solidarity, where a veritable army of Supermans hang out. They were all once in future relations, or have in some way been inspired by Superman, who is awed by what he sees. The squad tells him that he's suffering from depression, and this pilgrimage across America will help him reconnect in a fundamental way with his beliefs. If it doesn't, all of this could cease to be. They drop him back off in Lincoln, Nebraska, as history records that a woman will see Superman here and be somehow inspired by him. Within seconds, a traffic snarl up leads to almost death for a group of school children, but Superman saves them. He notes that a nearby storm is causing a flash flood and a tornado sirens blow. Superman spots Wonder Woman, who he doesn't know, which confused me somewhat, yeah. and asks her to help the populace while he stops the tornado. Wonder Woman complies, but after saving a few people, he's beat down by Lisa Jennings. Jennings says that Wonder Woman has prevented Superman from making the choice between saving the many or the few, and after a brief fight and talk, Jennings points out that people still need help. Wonder Woman assists as many as she can and meets Superman, who she tells is a true hero. Superman shrugs this off and informs the populace that normal service will be resumed soon. Lisa Jennings muses that it's just the beginning of Superman's descent into darkness. I really dug on this one. Did you? Yeah, I really like this one a lot. Page two and three. There's lots of really interesting variations on Superman's costume on display here. My favourite is Titano, or Titano, protector of the gorilla galaxy. She's awesome. I really like that. Is that the DC Apes world? Yeah, I presume so. Is symbol is symbol's not the S shield, but it looks very familiar to me. And I don't know why. Is it not the symbol kind of like what they were in DC One Million or something? Because no. this this owes a great deal to Superman One Million, doesn't it? No. Yes, there's an awful lot in this from Superman One Million. Not. I'm At sure that you're time. not right about that. Because well, page four, I presume this actually ties in with Superman One Million. With what? The fortress is a tesseract housed in a pentagonal icostrahedron outside of space and time in a region that some cultures have termed the still zone. If that's not a Grant Morrison thing... But I don't remember reading this in I'm sure that this is... Because I've only read One Million, the four-issue miniseries, ages ago. Like, when that's it came out. That's all you need, really. Uh, and I'm sure I remember some of this from being DC One Million. But I, I don't, and I read that more recently. Um, I do like the idea that Super Ego is, yeah. is a good idea that patrols the galaxy. It's an e it is an idea that just wanders around. It's really well, funny. I've, I've read One Million and All-Star Superman, yes. which are the same story. Well, no, they're linked, no. not the same story. DC One Million. No, they are. No, in DC One Million, Superman comes out of the sun. Which he goes in all -Star into. Superman, he goes into Superman. the sun. So it's not the same story. It's but it's linked, linked yes. It it's part of Morrison's Superman-verse. Yeah. In a similar way that his Batman stuff is Batman-verse. 
of the rest of the DC universe. Yeah. But there is, there's none of the characters in. Oh the no, I'm not saying the character. I, I just thought I'd the idea. You sure none of this is in Superman One Million? No, there's only like the Superman, the Super Clan, right. which is the one with the three um, circles on his chest and the Mister Mixes Picklick Superman. Right. But um, the rest of One Million was just the DC universe in the future with right. Superman coming out of the sun. Okay, fair enough. I like some of the names. I, I mean, I've mentioned Super Ego, but I like Superstar, Sentient Solar System. <laughs> like Supercilia, a single cellular hero who protects life forms too small for anyone else to know about. I like the Batman Superman. The, or Super Batman. Proud Sion of two heroic traditions. Yeah. yeah. Some of this was really good. I quite like this. Um, page five, the bottom of page five as well, they talk about Crisis on Infinity Eras. Don't tell the deal. Why was Crisis on Infinity Eras? It wasn't, that's my point. Oh, right. <laughs> it, obviously, it didn't happen anymore. Uh, page six. I quite like the idea that truth, justice, and the American way, and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness exist as a concept in the future. Yeah. I was quite fond of that. Um, my problem with it, as with most time travel stories, is on page nine. If history shows that Superman influenced someone in Nebraska, but he wouldn't have been in Nebraska without Superman Squad's interference, is that a paradox? No, because you were always meant to interfere him. Right, okay, so so like your argument is this time is linear then? Yeah. And it, it doesn't divert, this was always meant to happen? Like the Legion of Superheroes is always meant to find Superboy at that tree. Oh, okay, fair enough, whatever happens. Yeah. Page 10 onwards, I love it when Superman stops natural disasters. Because this is the kind of thing that Superman does that other heroes don't do. Again, the, the yellow school bus falling off the edge is is I don't know if it's a deliberate nod to Superman the movie yeah. but I, I certainly interpret it as such a school bus full of nuns yeah a school bus full of nuns it's not Justice League Unlimited yes but look at the cover right? I'm looking at the cover right what does that say though guest starring Wonder Woman and who takes more room on the cover than Wonder Superman? Woman's face right okay so how long is Wonder Woman actually in the book um, she only shows up about halfway through six pages six pages the last time. six pages which doesn't seem like a guest star to me it seems like a cameo but that could be a guest star but anyway a little more than a cameo I've, I've also never read Straczynski's Wonder Woman stuff he didn't finish that either all two issues of it but I've, I've read a brief overview and that's Wonder Woman goes off looking at her past so why doesn't anyone remember her then I've no idea because I've not read it either um, I presume that that does tie in with his Wonder Woman or why Superman doesn't know what yeah I don't know because I've not read it. I do get the feeling from this issue that Roberson wasn't entirely comfortable with the very concept of this idea. As it's only his second issue, he takes Superman on a very cosmic journey that still peers into the very soul of the character. He does a very good job of spelling out exactly why Superman, of all people, will be having a crisis of faith, for want of a better term. Superman, it seems, was quite upset that his adopted planet revelled in the destruction of New Krypton. And while he was really sad to see it go. And this gives a little more credence to the story. I'm still not overly sold on the premise. Hmm. But at least the fact that he's suffering from depression fueled by grief makes a bit more sense. And he will spell that out a bit more yeah. in a future issue, doesn't he? Where he says all the things that have happened to him recently, including losing Jonathan Kent and then losing his, his, his planet again. Yeah. It's all been piled up on him. It's interesting to note the letters make letters page makes a comeback in this issue. Yeah, they did recently at this point. Yeah, not one letter is devoted to Superman. 
Why? What is he all about? Um, they're all just them. generic letters about DC. <laughs> Not one letter is about Superman. In that issue. Unfortunately, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what I thought of that, to be honest with you. Um, there's not really any good adverts in it. Return of Bruce Wayne, Batman and Robin sneak preview, all of which will be rendered null and void in but a couple of weeks. <laughs> which won't, because Batman and Robin is a continuation of Batman and Robin. Yeah, Batman and Robin is still part of the, the overall, isn't it? Yeah. Superman 709. We're fully blitzing through these, mm. considering we liked the... Well, that's it, we're not bitching, are we? No. <laughs> we, quite, we like these quite a bit more. Superman 709 came out on the 16th of March 2011, again as a cover by John Cassidy of The Flash, racing past Superman, whilst saluting as Superman looks on, smiling. Yes, smiling. Wow, Superman can smile, who knew? Uh, the variant by Kenneth Rockefort has Superman flying at a very weird angle with his hair full of gel. I don't. I wasn't really fond of that one. Mm. Uh, Grounded Part 7 was brought to us by the exact same creative team as last issue. In Colorado, Superman helps Super Chief, who's fantastic, isn't he? Super Mohawk. I loved Super Chief. I thought he was brilliant. <laughs> His name is Saganawana, and he's just called Super Chief. He's, uh, does he wear the S? He does, doesn't he? He's got the S on the back of his jumper. Yeah. Excellent. I think there should be a Super Chief comic book. I don't understand. Um, in Colorado, Superman helps Super Chief with a few bad guys and then tries to call Lois, who is still not talking to him. As he approaches Boulder, a strange high-pitched whine converses in Kryptonium, and he undergoes a startling metamorphosis. Garbed as Erok L, the Star King, Superman realises that this is an illusion of some kind, and the Kryptonian he's hearing is at hyperspeed. Only the Flash could pull off something like this. Sure enough, it is the Flash who is under the influence. Superman races and catches him, removing the headband that is causing the problems, and they tidy up their mess and hit the cafe. The headband is Kryptonian, and Flash picked it up in Central City, but once placed on his head, he couldn't get it off, so he needed Superman. They talk a bit about morality and pragmatism and the legacy they're leaving behind. Flash is pretty cool with his legacy. And he says Superman should be too, and that loss gets better with time. But Flash lets Superman catch him. He is, after all, the fastest man alive. Which I quite liked. That was yeah. quite a nice touch, that. Page one is that blood sport that they're putting into the paddy wagon. The I thought the original blood sport was dead. Well, Bloodsport was the guy who could morph guns, if I remember correctly. Okay. He was the Vietnam veteran who shot up a McDonald's <laughs> in an early issue by Burn. And he could... wasn't was, oh, I can't quite remember what it was. He could either morph guns from somewhere else or his hands were guns or something. And this is John Byrne, right? Yeah. It sounds like a Rob Liffield creation. I, I can't quite remember what it was. It was something like that. It's been years since I read that comic. Um, I really like this page. See, this is how a writer humanises Superman. He has him talk about regular stuff. Yeah. Super Chief. <laughs> love it. <laughs> love Super Chief. Um, invites him to a ball game the next time his hometown play Metropolis. And Superman has a real conversation and even smiles. Because mm -hmm. I buy that Superman is like basketball or something like that. Why not? He's from the Midwest. <laughs> He played it in the first issue. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, it's a lovely little humanising scene, of which there hasn't been too many recently, because the writer has been trying desperately to, to emphasise that his story is really not a big pile of poo, mm. and that Superman's alone and miserable. Well, you know, not. I think Straczynski's biggest contribution to Spider-Man and Superman is establishing that they both carry mobile phones in the costumes. Yeah. Isn't it? 
<laughs> in it though. Page four. Note that the Kryptonians in the background are all wearing post-crisis Krypton outfits. The John Byrne The ones. John Byrne stuff, yeah. Right. I got really confused with DC about the late noughties. And this is why. I do like faux Roman Kryptonian clothing, though. <laughs> Superman. Superman. and Kryptonite. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a great show. <laughs> be a lot of full frontal nudity in that show, though, wouldn't there? Oh, that's why they call you the Man of Steel. <laughs> if, it's, if it's like Spartacus, yes. <laughs> uh, page eight. Superna- Super- Superman always wondered who was faster, him or the Flash. So every but other what, time they've what? raised he's not part of continuity at this point, is it not? Apparently not, no. Um, or is this like him not knowing who Wonder Woman was? I don't think it's even that, because uh, him not knowing Wonder Woman, I presume, is important to Wonder Woman. <laughs> this just seems like the writer. Yeah, especially seeing as Chris Roberson obviously knows his stuff. Yeah. Because there's an awful lot of little nice continuity touches through the six or seven issues that he wrote. Well. Um, but... Him, he's raised the Flash any number of times, hasn't he? Yeah. So, presumably... Yeah. Look up and there's a graphic novel in front of There's a graphic novel on my bookshelf, Superman vs. The Flash, containing most of those Superman Flash races. Uh, page 12 through 16. Superman and the Flash's conversation takes place at super speed. So the event of these few pages take place in under a nanosecond, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Isn't it? I really liked it. It's cool as well that Kilgore is referenced, even though I doubt that this is the Wally West bad guy of the same name from the early 90s. Why, who is Kilgore? Kilgore was a bad guy in the early Wally West series. From the early 90s? From the early 90s, yeah. Ah, right. (laughs) That cleared it all up for you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The little homage there to Showcase 4, first appearance of The Flash, where he catches somebody who drops all the food really quick, and they rip that off for Spider-Man, the movie. Which Flash? Barry Allen. First appearance Barry Allen. Ah, right. So that's what little homage to that. Yeah. Barry Allen's a crime scene investigator, right? Yes, he is. Okay, and at those crime scenes, the investigators don't touch anything as to avoid disrupting the evidence, right? Yes. Okay, so the first thing Barry Allen does, crime Barry Allen, crime scene investigator, the first thing he does is try out this unknown object on himself. Well, you know, all right. Maybe it's a bit dumb. Just a bit. Well, um, I, I, I didn't notice this until Adam, the time this issue was released, it was on this website I go on, mm. which I also said Superman was the best comic of all time here, which is pants. But <laughs> um, Lex Luthor is putting attention for stealing 40 cakes from the school bake sale. Yes. Funny. But why? Well... Back in 1978, the Super Dictionary was published to educate children. This book had alphabetically listed arranged words, defined with stories told within a few sentences, and an image as well. So when it came to the word 40, the story was, when no one was looking, Lex Luthor stole 40 cakes. He took 40 cakes, that time in in numbers. That's as many as four tens, and that's terrible. (laughs) See, he knows his stuff. Oh, yeah. All these little continuity points. Uh, page 19, the Flash was joking yeah. when he said he sees a big blur in issue 700. Joking. Well-known prankster, <laughs> the Flash, was joking. Superman may not even be on this trek if the Flash hadn't joked with him. Does that not reek of Chris Robeson saying, actually, that was a bit crap? Yeah. Which, did we not point out that that was a bit crap? We, we probably did, yeah. yeah. Probably. Why is this comic only 20 pages? 
that a lot of comics are. Are they? Yeah. Was this the reason it was only two ninety nine? Probably. Uh, Some right. of the new fifty two comics um, are like twenty pages. Are they? Yeah. Action comics too, which was three ninety nine, twenty pages. Right. Superman smiles on the last panel. Yeah. He smiles again. Um, yeah. So Robertson quickly retcons that Flash was joking. joking. <laughs> isn't a bad issue at all some of the art's nice I like the Roman Centurion Superman but I thought we were going to get a decent action issue after this beginning and not two dudes sit down and have a chat in a diner yeah I had enough of that from Straczynski we now return to Walking Dead on Bendis <laughs> um, I do like that the issue ends with Superman smiling and seemingly getting back to his old self which will be contradicted yeah. in another couple of issues for reasons that we will explain when we get there. There's also some pretty cool touches. The Iron Monroe comic has the same ad on the back uh, as Action Comics number one. Yeah, exactly. The same advert is on the back, yeah. And the Flash's speed causing food to have a midder, we've mentioned as a homage to showcase number four. Uh, you've mentioned the stool 40 cakes thing. Uh, apparently, there's quite a lot of continuity references in this that I didn't get. Right. Um, when I was doing my research for it, but I'm not mentioning them because that's taking credit for other people's work. <laughs> But there is quite a lot of uh, Chris Roberson continuity nods that we didn't understand. Fair enough. Uh, Superman 710 came out on the 13th of April 2011, again as a cover by John Cassidy. I'm getting bored of saying that. Of Clark and Bruce before they were Superman and Batman attacking Chinese soldiers while Superman and Batman look on symbolically. Vandal Savage is also hovering large in the background. The variant is by Adam Hughes, which goes from a traditional Batman and Superman image of Batman dwelling in the dark, surrounded by bats, but Superman flies into the light, surrounded by doves. Although in context of this story, surely it should be the other way around. Well, yeah, maybe in the context of this particular story, so, you know, you never know. Um, they're both good covers this time. Okay. I quite like both of them, although the Cassidy one is a better representation of what's going on on the inside. Grounded Part 8 has a few credit changes. It's it's credited as Joe Michael Straczynski and Chris Robeson writers. <laughs> whereas my understanding is that Straczynski had very little to do with this at the moment. The present sequence is by Eddie Barrows, uh, penciler, J.P. Mayer, Inker, and Rod Rice, colorist. Whereas the past sequence is by Travel Foreman, penciler, John Dell, Inker, and Dave McCaig, colorist. I'm down with some Travel Foreman. Moss and Idelson still did the edits. Which does beg the question how much work they actually did. Yeah. as editors because they didn't seem to put the foot down on anything Straczynski said but also they didn't seem to object that much when Chris Robeson came along and basically said I didn't like that I didn't yeah. like that I'm retconning that I'm getting rid of that I'm ignoring that thank god they didn't so you know what can you do in Ogden, Utah Superman prevents Helen Phelps an archaeologist from being splattered by a truck because she's too busy yelling at Centum Industries representative who wants to shut the dig down to use as a radioactive waste site Superman spots a super signal in the sky which was awesome the super signal <laughs> only he can see it he flies off saying he'll be back and it turns out the originator of the signal is none other than Bruce Wayne who is back as the Batman but he seems to have forgotten he only comes out at night Superman says that Phelps' predicament reminds him of just after they'd met in Boutra after some diddly 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 music a flashback begins Clark Kent not yet Superman and Bruce Wayne not yet the Batman both receive a message to seek out Terry Jung, who has become the new Rana Butran after the death of her father. There is an army master at the borders led by General Sheng Fan who is threatening to invade because Terry knows the secret way to Nanda Parbat. Sheng Fan is in actuality Vendel Savage. 
Vandal Savage. Savage is immortal but still feels intense pain due to the cancerous cells in his gut. He believes that Nanda Parvat may be able to cure his pain. Clark and Bruce mount an offensive with Clark blocking the pass with huge rocks and Bruce mounting a campaign of fear. Savage shows up and Clark takes the frontal attack whilst Bruce sets up Camp Cloud Colony of Bats against the Red Army. We couldn't decide what a group of bats was called. Okay. A camp, a cloud or a colony. A group. Okay, a bunch. A bunch of bats. Clark and Bruce kick ass, then go their separate ways. Back in the present, Batman tells Superman that he's grieving, that's why he's in such an emotional state. He explains that the Flash is wrong, loss doesn't get better, but it can be channeled into something else. He says that working alone was good for a time, but how much more good can a squad of Supermen do? Or a Batman Incorporated, for that matter. But if Superman ever needs him, he knows where he is. Oh, and Centum Industries just got a better offer and Wayne Tech now owns the mountain. Phelps Dig can go ahead. Uh, did you have anything to say about this one, Michael? I do like the travel form of that. Do you? Yeah. He's, he's done some damn fine work on Animal Man. Although he's gone now. Has he, has he gone forever? Mm-hmm. It's now uh, Steve Pugh. Uh, page one. Uh, I love that Superman's saving people from natural accidents once again. It seems to be something Roberson puts in a lot, isn't it? Mm. Um, but wouldn't it have been better to swoop in and lift Phelps off the floor than so as not to damage that poor guy's truck? Or damaging the poor guy's neck from yeah. what he's doing. Whiplash. Um, the artifact that's been dug up is yeah. actually a shard of the Kryptonian Sunstone from issue 12 and 12. The 712, sorry, yes. Yeah. The one that he shatters in 712, which I thought was quite clever. Page six, Batman references, oh, or rather Chris Roberson does, references Man of Steel 3, you mean the business with Magpie, or the time we were forced to share a room on the Varanian Princess, which is Superman 76 from 1952. Right. Not the issue after Superman died, yeah. obviously. Uh, on page eight, Bruce references the story when Clark met Bruce from Superman, Batman's Secret Files and Origins, but nowhere... Is there a footnote to tell me this? How are kids supposed to get hooked anymore? Well, DC aren't even trying anymore, are they? Do they have to now, the reboot? Well... Mm. Which is the Batman, Superman, Seacrows and Origins? Is that the... When Clark met Bruce. Jeff Loeb. Yeah, himself. the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale one where he, this car breaks down. Right. The two-page story. And the Superman-Batman one from 1950-odd is the first Superman-Batman team-up. Yeah. where they both discover each other's identity because they end up sharing a cabin together that was retold in Superman the Batman Annual Number 1 yeah. by Joe Kelly and uh, Ed McGuinness because Ed McGuinness did the art yeah. uh, page 11's really fun Bruce calls Clark Smallville and Clark calls Bruce Gotham there's a very playful bantering between the two of them that just stops short of becoming irritating and smug and stays on the right side of charming Bruce read the Crimson Avenger comics as a kid whilst Clark read Iron Monroe Mm-hmm. I thought I, I didn't know both of which one of them mentioned in this. Yes, there's a reference that passed me by, other than Clark was reading an Iron Monroe comic last issue. Yeah. I don't know if the uh, maybe I should know who Iron Monroe the is. Scarlet, what's his face? The Crimson Avenger. Crimson Avenger um, trained at this place as well, which Did he? is mentioned later on in the issue. Yes, it is. But how can so the Crimson Avenger was a comic book who was also real? So was Iron Monroe. Oh, I know Iron Monroe's real. And so was Jay so is this Garrick. So like, is this like the Marvel comics? Yeah, because Barry Allen would read Jay Garrick comics, wouldn't yeah. he? And Fantastic Four, Johnny Storm, Red Hulk comics. And um, in Justice League Dark, we've got a Flashpoint comics scattered on the beds. It's very metatextual, isn't mm. it? Uh, page 13, Bruce is envious of how well Clark gets on with kids. <laughs> and we see him playing football. Uh, I hope Clark doesn't cheat at football. Oh, oh no. You think he doesn't use his powers while he's doing that? Uh, page 19, nice play on the cover of Action Comics number one. 
Mm-hmm. With Clark lifting up the, the tank, hoisting it above his head, and the guy running towards us. Try and run me over. <laughs> uh, there's some clumsy lettering in this issue. Page 13, panel 1, and page 17, panel 1, both have words running into each other with no spaces. You would have thought that they would have uh, fixed that, see? Always in. Uh-huh. It's all one word. Um, there are some nice character moments as well in this story. Bruce realising that having a partner to watch his back may not necessarily be a bad thing. And Clark realising that operating out in the open feels good. Why is he wearing glasses before he's Superman? As he just got into um, Metropolis. I don't know. No, because he's wandering around here. Exploring the world. So he did that before Metropolis? Yeah. So he didn't go straight from Smallville to the Metropolis like we all know he did? No, no, he, he wandered the world for a bit, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, he went to college. That's where he met Laurie Lamaris. Alright. See, I've never, I've never heard all this before. That, all I knew was that he went straight from uh, Smallville to Metropolis. No, no, he, he wandered the world for a bit first. Right. Went to college, got his journalism degree. Right. Meanwhile, he decided what he was going to do with his life. Kind of like the Smallville TV show, except he, he actually left Smallville. <laughs> Instead of, of going back yeah. in once and all. And he wandered the earth like Kane from Kung Fu, much like he's doing in this storyline. Page enough. 18, does Nanda Parbat have anything to do with Batman R.I.P.? Uh, my time to show. Oh, go on. Well, as far as I know. <laughs> as far as you know. I think, and could be wrong. Yeah, probably. Well, in 52, Ralph Dibney goes to Nanda Parbat looking for a way to resurrect Sue Dibney. The question takes Renna Montoya, though, to train her to take over for him when he dies on the way there. Mm. Uh, Bruce also goes there in 52 to undergo the Thogal, I think, which would help him understand the Joker better after trying the space travel experiment in Robin Dies at Dawn. Okay. Right? The yeah, Thogal okay. helps him, uh, it, which is when he goes into a cave for 30 days. Right. And w- w- would try and reenact what it's like to die and come back, which helps... Um, when he's later killed by the third ghost of Batman, the Bat-Devil, and returns after being dead for a whole minute. Right. The space travel experiment was also when Simon Hurt did some stuff, and Batman made Zero and, and other stuff happened. <laughs> some other stuff happened. Yeah. <laughs> it all sounds a bit complicated. Page 20 and 21 are really good. The dialogue is crisp and humorous between Superman and Batman. And wow, look at this. Look. Look. Yeah. In DC Comics, there's a writer who remembers when Superman and Batman were friends and smiled. <laughs> and were actually chums. Wow. Well, did you know that the whole Batman being nice thing, mm. well, him being this nice anyway, comes from the return of Bruce Wayne and Batman and Robin. <coughs> right. Were. Batman only gets rid of the Omega sanction that Darkseid placed on him in Final Crisis by admitting that he's been wrong all these years and that he may not actually be alone. All right. Okay. Um, what did you think of this one as a whole? Um, I thought it was alright, but as much as I like the story and the art in this, it feels like the main story, the then story, is kind of a bit of a interlude or a stopping well, in the narrative. Yeah, well, I liked it. I li- I'm a sucker for Superman Batman team-ups anyway, especially when they aren't every single issue. Uh, I feel they need to be spaced out because they work better that way. Not spaced out as in drugged, you know. Uh, I also like before they were superhero stories of these two as well, and Robeson nails the Batman Superman relationship in a way nobody really has in 20 odd years. They're not antagonists, they're friends. They don't see eye to eye, and sometimes they bicker, but that's what friends do. I do love the final conversation as well that only Batman could have talked to Superman like this, and it works really well. I like the last sign. 
remember I've got the shadows covered Smallville we need you out in the light mm. I quite like that and again Superman's happy here which kind of messes up in two issues time I do agree with what you're saying again it does feel like Roberson couldn't be bothered yeah. telling a Superman walks the earth story so let's do a Superman Batman team even he thinks it's boring yeah even he doesn't seem to be sold on the premise so every chance he gets he seems to be breaking it yeah. which is fair enough I, I don't mind that if that's what he wants to do he's the writer there's a lot of stuff at the back for Batman the Arkham City comics which was plugging Arkham City which just came out at this time but nothing really is of great oh. interest in that one yeah Superman 7-11 came out on the 11th of May 2011 and features a cover again by John Cassidy this one's really good actually isn't it <laughs> it's Surprise on the 7th enough. of the 11th and it's 7-11 7th of the 11th well the 11th year of 2000 and it's the I was going to say May's the 5th month but, but, it amused you so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just let that go uh, Livewire voiced by Laurie Petty in the animated series trivia fans is electrocuting our hero who although not grounded ha, <laughs> and indeed ha, still looks a bit shocked the variant is by Dave Johnson and he's much more powerful, of course, by which I mean it's a bit dull. Superman arrives in Vegas, people smile at him. Entitled Grounded Part 9, this one is once again by Straczynski and Roberson, Eddie Barrows, J.P. Mayer and Rod Rice, John J. Hill, and the usual Will Moss and Matt Idelson. It's getting a bit boring reading the same names out over and over again. Uh, Superman is getting the key to the city in Utah when he hears Jimmy Olsen's signal watch. He takes off with the key and follows the signal to Vegas just in time to see live wire lightning up the neighbourhood. Jimmy yells that Livewire has hostages and Superman swoops in just as Livewire is about to disintegrate Superman's power. Jimmy exposits that Livewire has hostages in the GBS Grand and that she wants all the money in town or she'll fry them. As an aside, that was really a bit dumb. How is she going to know it's all of the money in town? How, how would, what is she saying? Bring it me in a wheelbarrow? How is that even going to work? Fortunately, Livewire is insane... Well, so so that works out quite well. Superman thinks that Livewire never had this amount of control over her powers before. He gives Jimmy the key, then tries to reason with Livewire, and she blasts him back. He gave Jimmy the key. That's important. Yeah. Superman, smarting from this, says he she isn't hurting anymore, but attacks. But Livewire converts herself to pure energy. Superman is concerned for her, but Livewire seems to be having trouble thinking clearly. In a subplot, Lisa Jennings is one of the hostages, as is Iron Monroe. Jimmy, meantime, calls Star Labs where Livewire was previously trying to help. Kooky scientist Dr. Plot Exposition, I mean Dr. Rocket, tells Jimmy that she needs a containment suit to regulate her body's energy. Superman overhears, because, you know, superhearing, and zooms to and from the Fortress of Solitude with the suit he wore when he was Electron Blue Superman! <laughs> Geekgasm! He drops it off at Star Labs and Dr. Exposition, nay Rocket, says that with a few quick modifications she may be able to make it work. Jimmy, meanwhile, pulls a Ben Franklin and defuses Livewire with the key to Utah. Superman shows up just in time and dresses Livewire in the Electron Blue suit and it contains her energies and makes her normal again. I say normal. Normal as... Livewire is, I suppose. Yeah, mostly normal. Superman says he'll put in a good word for her here, and Jimmy questions this. Superman says this is America. Everyone deserves a second chance, and this is where people came for that second chance. Page one. Superman looks a bit porky on page one, especially panel three where he's flying. D- he looks like he's got a big chest and tiny thighs. Yes, it's, 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 it's a bit off isn't it? Yeah. That panel, to be honest with you. Um, I do think it would have been a nice visual gag to have Gus Gorman at the ceremony. 
where he's getting the key to the city. Oh, he's gone. In Superman 3, when he's been given the key to the city, he gives him the kryptonite. Ah. And the kryptonite is what makes him evil. Because ah. it's, it's bastardised kryptonite and they don't get the mixture right. Right. Do you remember? Um, Superman 3? Page no, 2. No, I try to forget. Oh, okay. Uh, live Wire Corrupts Freddie Mercury. Yep. I want it all. I want it now. Uh, page 3. <laughs> and he died because of it. Jimmy looks like Ron, Ron, Ron Weasley. Dumbledore. Instead of the Jimmy... Justin Bieber instead of no. Justin Bieber yeah. Jimmy Bieber Jimmy Bieber page 4 Superman hands the sea oh shit page 4 Superman hands off the key to the city to Jimmy do you want to bet Superman has a collection of them at home probably <laughs> keys to every city in America <laughs> all on his wall in the, for- the Fortress of Solitude has an entire room yeah. devoted to keys to the city which is pretty awesome <laughs> page 5 has a footnote Wow. Oh, oh, yeah. See Superman back in action, Tread Paperback. It's a true paperback. Yes. Aren't most modern mm. footnotes either for the last issue or for a graphic novel? Yes, pretty much. Because they want you to go out and buy the graphic novels because they get money from that rather than oh. going hunting out the back issue bins. Uh, page 11. I did have a few minor quibbles with this. I had trouble believing that Jimmy had Dr. Rocket on speed dial. Well, I thought that was pushing it a bit. And if he wants. Then if he went through to Star Lab's phone system, he'd still be on hold. For example, try and phone your bank. Go on, I'll wait. I'll wait. Go and phone your bank and see how long it takes to talk to an actual person. Go on. Okay. I I don't have a bank. Have you done that? Yes. It takes a while, doesn't it? Oh, very well. And that's the standard bank. Star Labs would have tons of numbers to press. I see. For renegade supervillains, press 1. For doctors who used to be supervillains but are now good guys, press 2. For cataclysmic events... Press 3. To contact Superman, press 4, etc. Et For good guys but are now supervillains. Yes. Press 5. For the diner, press 6. Page 12. Now choose your choice of music. <laughs> yes, are you a rock kind of guy? Or do you like some easy listening? Uh, page 12. Superman has tons of cool outfits in the fortress. The suit he came back from the dead in. Yes. The Krypton man suit, the lightning man suit, and the one with the black S and the black belt, the one that Alex Ross likes drawing. Well, the one he did in Kingdom Come. That's the one. <laughs> yes. But it's not, though. Is it not? I've only just noticed, right? Yes. It's got the bottom bit of an S. Yes. But it doesn't. Does it not? It's pretty much one curved line that goes from the top left to the bottom right. Oh, right, so what's that costume, then? The same, just with a slight mess up. All right, well, maybe it's appeared in something else. Superman the Kingdom or something like that. Possible. Uh. Uh, page 15, proving that he paid attention in school. Jimmy uses a nearby flag, the key to Utah, and the guideline for the flag to create a lightning rod. Way to go, Jimmy. He also makes a pretty good gag at the expense of this story's title. Yeah. Now, that's what I call being grounded. But now, I made that joke earlier on. Yeah. But I'll, I'll give Jimmy a pass. <laughs> um, he's still on top of the roof, though, isn't he? Because he uses the flag... Yeah. to ground live wire he got down pretty quick didn't he <laughs> given that at the top of the next page yeah. he's on the bottom that's a very tall building well maybe something we've all been overlooking for many years Jimmy has superpowers yeah <laughs> um yeah okay fair enough I really like this issue First, we have a heaping helping of action as Superman actually does some super stuff, which has been in short supply lately. Second, Robertson essentially retcons Action 900 Mm. and some more recent issues of this very storyline. Superman's view of America here 
is a lot more in keeping with his character than a few issues ago where he was morose and downbeat. Here he seems to be, you know, actually happy. The Lisa Jennings subplot's a tad more bothersome. How did she know Superman was going to Vegas to get there before him? Doesn't everyone know? Wasn't a few issues ago they knew he was coming? Did they? Because Superman only went there because Jimmy calls him. He starts this issue in Utah. Yeah. Not in Vegas. Jimmy calls him to Vegas. So how did Lisa Jennings know he was going to be there? Maybe she knows all. (laughs) She knows all and sees all. Well secluded, I see all. Uh, Superman 712 should have been the next chapter of Grounded and is solicited as such in this issue, complete with a cover. Yeah. However, the story, which would have concerned Superman in L.A. helping a Muslim hero named Sharif, in actuality a character called Sinbad from the early 90s, who is a hero, but because he's a Muslim is experiencing prejudice. This issue should have had a variant cover by George Perez, which was used for Superman 714. But the lead story never surfaced. Instead, Superman 712 had a story itself, previously solicited for Superman issue 659, four years earlier, by Kurt Busiek and Rick Leonardi, and was about Crypto the Superdog, and was quite fun. But I would still like to know why this issue was subbed. But Jeff, did you not like it? No. I'd like to know why this issue was subbed at the last minute, and it was last minute. George Perez didn't know the day before it was scheduled for release, and Chris Robeson was understandably vexed. Yeah. According to Bleeding Cool, (laughs) this issue was actually cancelled because it had a scene in it in which Superman rescued a kitten. Right. And that didn't stop them every other time he did that. As usual for Bleeding Cool, there were no sources for this. Oh, no. Just something Rich Johnson heard from somebody's mother. The cubicle of a Yeah, in the toilet cubicle on a cell phone somewhere. So what you talk about on the toilet? Oh, you know that Superman 712? Right, well, turns out he couldn't do it. <laughs> Superman 713, therefore, came out on the 13th of July 2011 as a cover by Cassidy of Clark Kent abandoning Superman. It's a nifty idea for a cover, and I think the Silver and Bronze Age, this would have just been a bit more dynamic and exciting. It's still fun, especially as Supergirl and Superboy look on aghast. The variant by Jeff Smith has an emaciated Superman break through a brick wall to stop a bad guy robbing a safe. The bad guy has a stripy top on, and a domino mask, and money bags that have dollar signs on them. So there really has to be an element right. of parody here, doesn't it? You know what would have been a better cover? What? Well, in the background, Clark Kent walks down a rainy alleyway, and in the foreground there's a dustbin with the Superman costume in it. <laughs> Why did they not think of that? That would have been really good. Uh, Carl's Grounded Part 11, so the change to last issue was so late they didn't change the title to this issue. It was by Straczynski and Robeson writers... Diogenes how the hell do you say that name Diogenes <laughs> Diogenes Neves and Ocla Albert pages 1 through 4 pages 1 pages 4 through 10 Eddie Barrows and J.P. Mayer pages 2 through 3 Jamal Igle and John Sibyl pages 11 through 20 were the artists Marcelo Mariola was the colorist and John J. Hill was the letterer that's a great name that it's fantastic isn't it In Oregon, Superman calls Supergirl and Superboy to a meeting and says he's been long pondering the question, must there be a Superman, in a nice nod to issue 247 from January 1972, and he's decided no. 
In the before times, he operated secretly as Clark Kent. No target for villains, no resentment from normal people. He's retiring Superman, and he suggests Super's boy and girl do the same. Clark is having coffee later and contacts Perry and tells him of his latest story, Must There Be a Superman, and asks after Lois, who still isn't talking to him. He says she'll be in Seattle tonight. Clark is pointed towards the local Superman fan by the coffee vendor who sees what Clark is writing. The fan says that this piece is a joke, right? Clark says no. The fan says this is not the work of a man who understands Superman. In fact, he says that the average man on the street probably understands Superman better than anyone who would write a story with a title like that. He takes Clark out to meet with real people to ask about the Man of Steel. The fan says that Clark talks about Superman being responsible for the villains who hate him and that he is feared and distrusted. The fan says this is bunk and asks a child who is passing if he is afraid of Superman. The kid says that Superman is stronger, better, faster than everyone else and not even dying can stop him. Clark thinks maybe the kid is wrong but the fan asks another passerby. The lady says there's no one she trusts more than Superman because he represents the truth. Clark says that, okay, maybe some people don't distrust him, but others may. The fan pulls another passerby and asks if Superman ever kills, even bad guys. No way, says the man. He wishes Superman sometimes would, even scum, who threaten children, but everyone has a right to a trial. He doesn't know if he would be able to hold back, especially with somebody threatening kids, but he'd rather the courts decided than Superman took the law into his own hands. Clark still thinks people resent Superman because he's really, really dense, this issue, due to his powers. The fan asks a couple and their child. They say Superman rescued their cat because he doesn't discriminate against people not born in America. Was the cat not born in America? Was it not? <laughs> he helps anyone that needs it. Clark is still unsure. If Superman operates in secret, he says, wouldn't it be more effective? No, argues the fan. He's a symbol that people can be inspired by. Suddenly, they are interrupted by the ex expositional news network, trademark Michael Bailey, saying a superpowered woman has kidnapped Lois Lane in Seattle. Clark disappears, leaving the fan to wonder where he went. Uh, page one. It makes no sense that Superboy would call Superman Soups. Because as a nickname, it applies to any one of them. Yeah. Wouldn't... wouldn't wouldn't they all turn around and go, yes? <laughs> it's like yelling, Dad, in an Asda. Yes, and then everyone going, do me, me. Which I did. Okay, mm. well, little continuity error here. Well, I say little. <laughs> I say little. Yeah, well, I, I mean it's quite big, and I do feel a bit like Gok Wan for saying this. This first part, anyway, because it goes off in a big tangent. Oh, but anyway, no, Supergirl's costume here is wrong. In what way? Well, um... Believe it or not, it's actually important, but after New Krypton... Well, you are a fashion guru. Well, <laughs> after New Krypton was destroyed along with her mum, Supergirl did some mourning that had her going on a walk to her wardrobe <laughs> and changing her blue costume for a black and white one. Her mourning ended up nearly killing her in the Superman Batman Annual Issue 5. In that very same issue, uh, she saves herself from the killer Mournfolitis. I came up with that, by the way. Oh, right. He changes back into her old blue costume, and at the end of the issue, is then taken away by Doomsday to Doombase. Okay? The Doombase that's on in Secret Wars? No, the Doombase that Doomsday lives on. Oh, right, a different so, Doombase. that means if she is in this issue, she should be in a black costume now. Right. That same month, Jeff Lemire, very good writer. Okay. Just, just yeah. You've he, met Jeff Lemire. I have, actually. He wrote Superboy uh, issue 6 that had Doomsday taking Superboy to Doombase as well. And then later, Superman joined them all. Okay? Mm hmm. So, 
They all stayed up though until Action Comics 902. They spent the last two issues carrying on their four issue fight with Doom Slayer. Right. Then the reboot hit. Grounded happened concurrently with Action Comics The Black Ring Saga, and Superman is in Action Comics from 900, meaning that Grounded must have finished before Action Comics 900. However... Yes, it did, because he's just got back. Yeah, but however, the ending of Grounded does not match with the beginning of 900. Mm. Because in 900, Superman is being interrupted from his walk after he hears about Steel taking a beating from Doomsday. Um, whereas Grounded ends... Mm. With him flying away with Lois and winking Happily at the after. So, um, if he goes to Metropolis right after hearing that Steel 2 could beat him from Doomsday, that must mean that Steel issue 1, Outsiders 37, Justice League of America 55 slash Superman Batman Annual 5, and Superboy issue 6 all take place at roughly the same time. A Steel issue 1 is the first part of the Reign of Doomsday story, and we see uh, Steel perfectly fine in the next issue of um, Superman. Right. So, because Grounded theoretically takes place before Steel 1, <coughs> Supergirl should be wearing black in this issue. So, in summary, this four-page uh, appearance contradicts every current Superbook. Okay! <laughs> You're very proud of that, aren't you? I am, actually. <laughs> uh, page 2, I'm not even going to go because I have no idea. Yeah. You could be right, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, page two, Supervisor remarked that you've decided to keep walking until you hit Metropolis from the other side. It was quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> it did amuse me. Page three, Superman gets undressed in front of Kara. And her covering her eyes is very funny as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if I hadn't noticed, the S-shield on Superman's back's changed. It's uh... now not a solid yellow, but rather the inverse of the shield on his chest, with the S yellow and the blanker is red. Much like George Reeves' cape was in the 50s TV show. Oh, no, it wasn't. He just had the same Superman yeah. shield on his cape, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Same red and yellow, yeah. Uh, Superman's decision to quit yeah. seems to come out of nowhere, doesn't yeah. it? Given for the past two issues of Roberson's run, he's been quite happy. I'm so happy, happy, sad. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, that's because of the events of the last issue that we never saw. Ah, right. Well done, DC. Well played. Uh, page four... A resolute slap in the face to Action Comics 900. Clark here says truth, justice, and the American way are good ideas worth defending. That's a marked contrast, isn't it? Yeah. So I, do, I disavow this country. <laughs> Page five. Clark is still on the outs with Lois. Yeah. To quote Entourage, who holds a grudge this long? Women, Women and gays, gays, bro. Women and gays. <laughs> Um, I do like the art on that page where they're in Sun Dollar Coffee, which I suppose is supposed to be Starbucks. Oh, it, it looks like board, um, Borders. Sun Dollar Starbucks. <laughs> uh, I, I cannot believe I only just got that. <laughs> oh, dear me. Page six. A reference to Clark's novel, Under a Yellow Sun. Yeah. There's loads of little continuity reference in this. Page 11. I would have thought that this was probably your favourite scene in the entire comic. Superman isn't a gun. Oh, yeah. Says the fan. Didn't we say that last week? Yeah. Roberson seems to be going out of his way to counter everything JMS said about the character. And you know what? He's not wrong, is he? No. Nope. He's not. Do you not, do you not think this fan represents everybody and Clark in this story is Straczynski? <laughs> yeah. Uh, page 16... I really enjoyed page 16. You know why? Why? Superman rescues a cat. 
And yet this issue was published. Hmm. Bleeding Cool got it wrong again. Do you think Marvel and DC will be doing that Spider-Man Batman crossover anytime soon? I don't think so. Somehow, page 17, I love that this woman's interpretation of the American way is just helping people. Mm. I quite like that. I quite like that everyone has a different interpretation of it. So you don't take it literally as the American way. It's an ideal. It's yeah. how you live your life. I, I can get behind that. I really like this issue. I really did. Um, I disliked that the fan didn't have a name. Well, which I thought was a bit off. I thought he was annoying at times. Yes, but he's a fan. We are annoying at times. Well, it's the way of things. Uh, Clark does seem a little bit thick-headed <laughs> and close-minded at times. Well, yeah, you've just yeah, put yeah, two yeah, holes yeah, in but, my but, argument. But, but shut up, <laughs> shut up. But this single issue seems to be a response to all the problems we had with the JMS run. Yeah, there's a dig that no one who understands Superman could have written this in reference to Clark's story about needing Superman. Then he addresses the whole people are scared of Superman drivel from the first couple of issues of this story. Then there's the whole Superman is a gun thing. In turn, Robeson takes JMS's arguments and then knocks them down one by one. And it's glorious. Mm. I have to take to task the editor of this story. The editor didn't change when Robeson came on board. Idelson edited the whole shebang, so if he had a problem with Straczynski's characterization of Superman which by allowing Robeson's story to stand, he's tacitly saying that he did, then why did he not say anything then? Is this just a case of let the big-name hotshot writer do what he wants at the expense of the character? Yeah. Uh, The letters page outright lies as to why the last issue was dropped. Editorial deadlines is what it says on the letters page. (laughs) Robeson has said the story was done and dusted. Right. And finished. He said it went through about five revisions yeah. before finally approved, but it was finished. Right. So somebody's telling us porky pies. And we'll never know. We won't. Superman 714. Not only the conclusion of the grounded story art, but the end of the super titles as we know them. Dropped on the 3rd of August 2011. The final cover by John Cassidy has a male model-esque Superman flying towards us. It's fine, but the variant cover for issue 712 actually surfaces here. And because it's by Perez, George, not Per, is, is that Per or Pere? I don't know. It has accents on it, doesn't it? It's really rather good. Uh, the sign in the background is from Morris Rowe Mills. Rob Morrisow was a good friend of Perez's and a Superman fan who passed away. And Perez donated the original art to Morris Rowe's partner, Scott Mills. Rob Morrisow, and uh, Morris Rowe, sorry, is also in Superman issue 5. So George Perez slips a reference to him in there as well. Okay. I um, assume it's not British BBC3 Scott Mills. No, no, I, I presume it's not the, the Scott Mills radio DJ. Um, entitled Grounded Finale, it's by Straczynski and Robeson, more Robeson than Straczynski, I suspect. Jamal Eagle, penciler, and John Sibal and Robin Riggs, except um, Inkers, the usual people, did everything else. Well, actually, no, they didn't. They're the Mar- Marcelo Maiolo is the colorist, John J. Hill's the letterer, and everybody else shows up and does the same stuff. Seattle, Lisa Jennings is threatening Lois Lane unless Superman shows up. So he does. He asks what she wants, and when she doesn't answer straight away, he burns her arm and rescues Lois. He drops Lois off, and they both say they need to talk, and they will, says Superman, but after he's dealt with Lisa. He's taken out in mid-air by Jennings, who tells him she's his shadow, his doubts and fears, the answer to the question he doesn't want to ask. She's the gin in the gin-soaked boy. 
Actually, she's annoying, and Superman agrees and kicks her across town. Jennings comes back at him with heat vision and super strength. She says it's too late to stop all the damage and destruction, so Superman decides to take the fight elsewhere. He yells, open the lightning door, and Superman pushes a stunned Jennings inside to continue the conversation in private. Taking Jennings to the still zone, which was referenced in Roberson's first issue, a region outside time and space, he tells her to get to talking. She tells him she touched the Kryptonian Sunstone, an interrogation device that filled her mind with all of Superman's thoughts and feelings. Superman tells her that this stone was designed for Kryptonians. He has no idea what it'll do to the human mind. Jennings says it changed her, made her the nagging little doubt in everybody's mind that says you should just give up. She twisted Superman's dreams, made him hear things differently from what was said, and ultimately makes him see that there is no need for a Superman. Superman apologises, but he's over that. His little trek through the heartland has made him realise what's important. Truth. Justice. The American way. His hope counteracts the despair of the Sunstone and it shatters. The doorway reopens and Superman tells the occupants of the Fortress of Solidarity that there must be a Superman. And there always will be. He takes Jennings to the hospital and reunites with Lois. She says she didn't kill the article about the factory in Kansas because she's dedicated to the truth. And so is he. So we don't actually find out whether the, that, that poor could uh, no. factory closed down, do we? It got rebooted. <laughs> it got rebooted, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so is he. On the way back to Metropolis, Superman drops off signal watches with the Super Chief, Steel, Iron Monroe, Livewire and Super's boy and girl. Because even a Superman can't be everywhere at once. And in a fortress of solidarity, years into the future, the Superman tells younglings that the shards of the Sunstone fell through time, influencing others with Superman's powers and ideals. One of them was Lisa Jennings, who became the Superwoman telling this tale. And what of Lois and Clark? Well, even death couldn't keep them apart. They may have been separated from time to time, but they always found their way back. For truth, justice, and the American way. That is definitely a reference to Superman 1 million. DC 1 million. That even death couldn't keep Superman and Lois apart. Oh yeah, that bit when he marries someone else. Lois comes back, doesn't she? No. I'm sure, I'm sure she does. Uh, I'll think about. Well, I'll need to look at that again. Uh, page one. So after taking his uniform off last issue, Superman just left it out in the open. He didn't do that funny little compression thing with his hands that he used to do pre-crisis to make it really tiny and stick it in his pocket. You know, do that. Also, Lisa Jennings must be a terrible teacher. If she's left the school this well, No, well, that as well. But she tells Superman he's still the count of five. And then she proceeds to count down from five. <laughs> that did amuse me. Um, page three, Superman's a badass in this. Whilst the red glowy eyes thing are a bit of a cliche nowadays, Superman removes Lois from the equation in three panels. Yeah. Fantastic. I love it when he does super stuff. You know, proper super stuff. Uh, page 11, Jennings made Superman hear, you are a gun. No, That's not right, actually yeah. what the woman said. So uh, she actually said, "You are our hero." So I got I got really annoyed, <laughs> so frustrated at Straczynski because Superman got depressed. Yes, and Robeson obviously agreed with you yeah. because he retconned it. <laughs> uh, I was wondering how much of this was planned by Straczynski and used by Robeson, and I found this interview on Comics Alliance. Chris Robeson said. When I signed that in October last year, they gave me a one-page 
you could charitably call it an outline written by Straczynski where he saw the remaining issues going. I think it was drafted at a point where he assumed he'd be writing them. So this is what he was giving DC Editorial to draft solicitation copy. Apparently at some point after that, before Superman Earth 1 has come out, Straczynski decides the monthly books don't matter anymore because he knows there's a relaunch coming, so he can comfortably quit and let somebody else finish the story for him. When given this one-page outline, it was with the context that, here's where we were going to go, use of it what you want, and do your own stuff. And basically the only things I was beholden to would have Superman go to each of the eight towns and eight cities in each of the issues. Superman is walking from east to west and in issue 708 Wonder Woman shows up and in issue 709 The Flash shows up. Beyond that, everything you see on the page is mine. So essentially, the last six issues were all Roberson despite Straczynski getting top billing. Yeah. Bit miffing that, wasn't it? Uh, last time, I said I wasn't holding my breath for the Lisa Jennings reveal. Because yeah. I was like, oh, this isn't going to go anywhere. Well, I'm prepared to admit, <laughs> Roberson does actually a really good job with it. He sets her up from... Obviously, he didn't know what Straczynski was going to do with her. Yeah. But from his first issue, he sets her up as being Superwoman. And he seeds that in the very first issue of his run. And he successfully gives us a decent twist ending in the reveal that it is Jennings. Well played, Mr. Robeson. Well... I really like that. Yeah, but remember everything Lisa said? Mm. You know, about how the world doesn't need Superman and he attracts destruction and death wherever he goes? You remember all that? Yes. And now she's inspired by the man she hated. Because the crystal was affecting her mind. That's what Superman plainly says. Yeah. It's a Kryptonian thing. I don't know how it would affect a human mind. That's the point of it. The crystals affected her mind at this point, and then from meeting Superman, she becomes something else. Because of, by touching the crystal, she now has some of his powers. So all those opinions she had of him don't matter. Were part of the crystal. The crystal was doing that to so her. So the Kryptonians really didn't like Kal-El? Well, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's that it affects humans differently. Because I asked you last week if this sunstone came back, and you said no. Well, it's actually quite integral to the plot. I, I didn't know it would come back, but I just didn't want to ruin oh, any right. empire. Okay, fair mm. enough. So what do we think of the final issue? Better than Straczynski stuff. As a conclusion to a story that was boneheaded in principle, Robeson did as good a job as could be expected and a much better job than we could have hoped for. We'll probably never know how Straczynski would have ended this story, but Robeson gives a finale laced with hope idealism and optimism. A Superman no longer depressed and mopey, but re-energised and forceful, recommitted to his mission. On the one hand, it's a bit of a shame Robeson wasn't given a super title to carry on with after this, mm. because he demonstrates a better handle on the character than many who've written it over the past few years. And he did have ideas. Mentioned in the final page of this story are the Supermen of America, which again is a nice little tip of the hat by Robeson to an old Superman fan club, which was a series Robeson pitched to DC that was rejected because, as we all know, this was the last issue of Superman as we know it. Next month, the New 52 launched, and all this was consigned to the bin of imaginary story. It's a shame that the New 52 seems so rushed and we didn't get our whatever happened to the Man of Steel series, similar to how the pre-crisis era closed out. But Roberson deserves all the credit in the world for polishing this turd as well as he did. What did you think? Yeah, thought it was good. I like that it ends with a wink. <laughs> that was a nice little like nod. the whatever happened to the Man of Steel. Well, that, it was an old bronze and silver age trope, wasn't it, that he'd wink at the end of it, and George Reeves used to do it. So does that mean Superman knows he's in a comic? No, it's just kind of like a little tip of the hat to the audience, because Christopher Reeves smiles directly at us at the end of every Superman film. So does he know he's in a film? 
Probably. He breaks the fourth wall at the end of every movie. Yeah. And he does it as well when he um, when he beats up the bully in the bar in Superman 2. When he says, I've been working out, he looks directly into the camera and goes, well, what do you want me to say? <laughs> kind of like going to the audience, working out, you know what I mean, dude. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, for further details, I point you to War Rocket Ajax podcast number 11 Mm. where Robeson talks in depth about the Superman plans and the cancelled issue 712 Uh, which is why in 713 he's a bit mopey because of what happened in issue 712 whilst we're on it yes can can I just uh, point something whilst we're on it here to prove it okay yes stuff that's appearing here pretty much sets you up for the DC the new 52 yeah Flashpoint can't let Flashpoint Mm. um, can't let Flashpoint go as something that does not count. It's the ga- uh, gateway into what's coming in September. Okay, every time I've tried telling you that Flashpoint did happen, you've, yes. you've ignored me so no, far. No, I've not so. ignored you at all. I, I, I bow to your superior wisdom and your knowledge of the new 52. Mm. I, th- it's an interesting interview, that podcast, actually, because Chris Robeson talks about the continuity of Superman yeah. and how basically he subscribes to the Grant Morrison thing. It all happened. Because he, he points to examples, I can't remember what they are now, but he points to examples of where various different Supermans yeah. remember stuff that they couldn't remember. So the Golden Age Superman remembers stuff that he shouldn't be able to know, and the post-crisis Superman remembers stuff he wouldn't know if it was a straight-up reboot. So okay. it, it's a really good interview, yeah. actually. I, I, I heartily encourage it. Raw Rocket Ajax Podcast 11 on uh, Comics Alliance. It's a very good interview with Mr. Robeson. Robeson, sorry. So, that brings to a conclusion our coverage of Superman Grounded. Next week we'll be rebooted also. Yes, next week we're going to get rebooted. (laughs) Which would be amusing. Yeah. We've talked about that before though. No, next week we have a very special treat for all of you. Well, well, you and Stephen Lacey. I am responding to the criticism because I'm nothing if not open-minded. Yeah. That by only reading one issue of Grant Morrison's of X-Men run, <laughs> X part X of X part story, I was doing the man a disservice. Oh, yeah. So... By getting off your high horse and reading the full Grant Morrison I am going story. to... I am, I'm currently in the middle, actually, of it. I am reading all of Final Crisis. And I am reading... Back. Oh. Michael's reading everything. This is his baby. Next week, it's it's Michael's show, not mine. I uh, he picked this. He, he originally we were going to do Seven Soldiers. Yeah. And then you said no, no, let's do Final Crisis. We're not doing Seven Soldiers at all. We may do five, so, Seven Soldiers at some point in the future. I want to give right. Grant Morrison a rest for a while. Yeah. But I'm gonna. I'm willing to do this for you. I am willing to see if if Stephen and Michael are right, and if I read the whole thing, I will like it better. See, I, I really like Final Crisis, my favourite Morrison story, but if Steven sends an email now saying, God, Michael, why have you done that? It's the worst thing you could have ever done. No, I think, I think Stephen likes Final Crisis. Uh, I think he does. So um, that's, that's going to be a treat for you all. Mm. <laughs> Michael does Morrison. Multiple issues of Andrew reading Grant Morrison. <laughs> um, I don't care what said, you're not going to change your mind on Frank quickly. Batman and Robin next, folks. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, we've not really planned much after that. We're definitely going to do Night's Ending again. Yeah. Again, we're gonna, we need to finish our Night's trilogy. And then from there, the sky's the limit. Isn't it? 
We're a very eclectic show. Oh, yeah. So join us next week to see if Andrew changes his mind about Grant Morrison having read an entire storyline. <laughs> oh, hold your breath. Actually, no. No, that's not uh, open mind. No. Open mind. Don't, don't hold your breath. It's a week. No, no, well, it is a week, yeah. And, and you know what I've been thinking of it so far. Yeah. And you've been quite surprised. So we'll leave you on that little tease and we'll be back next week. Bye. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to the chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.